It's been an interesting uh, transition, this call to missions, because I've been preaching and I've been kind of in that, that same uh, feel and style of worship for a significant period of time. I chuckled a little bit coming up here this morning because last Sunday uh, I was blessed to speak in my parents' church, the church that they attend, uh, which is actually a Methodist church. Uh, there's two Methodist churches that uh, we, we, I spoke in last Sunday, and they're uh, very liturgical. Uh, meaning that they have a very strict order of how things go. And when I was originally speaking with the man who was pastoring those two churches, um, I, I asked, I said, well, how about how long will I have to share from God's Word? And he was like, well, I try to keep it around 10 minutes. Ouch. <laughs> I went a little long. <laughs> so, this morning I... Uh, uh, the message that God gave me this past week is one that I've been uh, really reflecting on, and I, it's, I'm really unsure of how it came to mind. Oftentimes, there'll be circumstances that happen in life that open our eyes to a passage of Scripture that we may remember or may have memorized. Uh, it will, will draw our attention to uh, uh, some circumstances happening around us and, and draw us into the Word that way. Uh, but this week, something uh, occurred, and I'm not really quite sure how it happened, but uh, in, in the midst of the beginning of the week, as I uh, was driving the school bus at one point, uh, it was laid upon me um, a passage from Exodus. And I'm going to be preaching from Exodus, the Old Testament uh, book of Exodus, chapter 32 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn in there. It's a passage which uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with. We've, we've heard about it uh, since the times that of our youth when we were attending vacation Bible school, perhaps, or Sunday school. I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron. Let me give you the context of this passage, just so that you are, are familiar with it, and, and let me give you some recollection. Uh, the children of, of Israel have, have been going through the wilderness, and now... Things are moving, God is moving, and God has summoned Moses up onto the Mount Sinai to have a conversation with him and to give him instruction, to give him words by which Israel should abide and worship and glorify God. He, uh, God uh, introduces the, the idea of tabernacle and the idea of the, the decorations, the adornments of the tabernacle. Fantastic preaching series to go through. I don't know, perhaps Pastor Todd has done that here, uh, but uh, uh, it's, it's a wonderful uh, series to go through. Uh, it also introduced the, 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 the high priesthood through Aaron and the calling of Aaron. In fact, we see back uh, several... Let me roll back here. Um, I believe it's in 29... Verse 29, and this is what you shall do to them who hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, the unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them to the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with intricately, intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put a turban upon his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. In this passage, we see God giving Moses very specific instructions about the consecration and the calling of Aaron to be the high priest. Or a, a position of leadership, a position of, of service to God. And now we're going to go ahead and fast forward to verse 32. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron, remember their high priest, and said to him, Come, make us gods that should go before us, for as... For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an uh, engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This incident, if you will, of the golden calf is one that resonates very loudly in my ministry, in my life, in the lives of those to whom I live in Christ, meaning the church. We often can look at passages such as this and say, how dare they? How would they do that? Why would they do that? After everything God has done for them, all the trials he's brought them through, all of the miracles he's bestowed upon them. And Moses goes away for a few days and he's gone. And oh, he's gone. Oh, he's gone. Oh, is he coming back? He's not coming back. What are we going to do? We need to do something. Aaron, we need to do something. We need something to worship because Moses isn't here. And Aaron... Aaron, the one who's been consecrated by God to serve in the priesthood. I think Aaron just wanted everyone to leave him alone. And so Aaron caved. (sighs) Okay, give me your gold and I'll do something. And they did. So he's got this gold and now he needs to do something. Well, what does Aaron know? Well, Aaron knows that many, he knows of many of the gods of Egypt from the land that they were called, and one of those gods was actually born when lightning shone upon a a, a cow, a bull was born, and this bull was given a godly title and served in the function of a god in Egypt. And here they are watching the lightning, seeing the cloud on top of Sinai, and Aaron says, well, we'll we'll make a little cow, we'll make a, a golden calf represent God, one whom you can worship. And Aaron does. But I go back, and and I'm looking at this passage, and why would he do that? Why would he choose to, to make a graven image? Why would he choose to Worship an idol. He is the high priest. One has just been consecrated by God, although Aaron hasn't heard this yet because Moses is still on the mountain. And then I look. I look in first. When, when, we, when we look at Scripture, when we read Scripture, the first person that should be influenced by Scripture is you. If you are here today, you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, you've put faith in Him and accepted His blood for your sins, then you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit will illuminate Scripture, which means that it will bring it to light. It will allow it to shine to you and show you what to take from it. It's for this reason that You can read a passage of Scripture for 10, 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden in God's most perfect time, perfect place, perfect situation, perfect setting, all of a sudden it clicks and it makes sense. Oh, where did that come from? I've been reading this forever. So the first person that the reading of Scripture should touch, should be those, the, the person that is reading it. And so as I was reading through and preparing this message for this week, I reflected on my own faith, my own relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I prayed diligently and I, I looked inwardly, asking myself, what are the golden calves that you, Terry, have created in the place of your pure walk with God through Jesus Christ. Well, you're looking at one of them. 
What do you mean? Pastor Ken and I had some communication going back and forth. And Pastor Ken said to me, he was like, I said, do I, you know, should I wear a suit? What should I wear? And he was like, you don't need to wear a suit. You don't, don't even need to wear a tie. It's pretty relaxed. And, and the congregation is, is laid back. We've got the band. By the way, fantastic worship. You are blessed through the worship of, of, of music here. But I am wearing something today that has, could possibly become a golden calf, and, and that's this tie. Well, how on earth can a tie become a golden calf? Well, uh, uh, the tie that I'm wearing is not anything, I don't remember where it came from, I don't remember who gave it to me, but I have this thing that if I'm preaching, I have to wear a tie. It, it's just something I have to do. And, and it's something that I, I struggle with when I don't do. I, I traveled to Africa in, in, uh, in January with uh, Pastor Newhart and Pastor Fitz from over at Charity Bible Church. And, and a couple of the guys over there wear ties, but, but most don't. It's hot. They don't need to. And so in, in celebration of this, I'm going to eliminate a, I'm going to eliminate a, a, a golden calf today. Okay? I, I just got rid of a calf. Okay? It is a humorous reflection of a, of a golden calf in my life, but there is a great serious side to that in, in that we as humans have the propensity to be impatient when it comes to God. It's a, to be crying out in our prayers, to be asking for God's intervention, His intercession. Uh, perhaps it's regarding a health issue or a family issue. Uh, perhaps it's it's a, a financial issue or a church issue or the list goes on and on and on and on. And, and scriptures tell us that God hears our prayers if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And scriptures tell us that those prayers will be answered. It also gives us a prescription of how we should pray. So how is it that when I've been praying for the winning lotto ticket for decades now, God hasn't answered that prayer? Well, isn't it interesting, as I pray for things like that, and I, I, I don't, I'm using this as, a, as an analogy, but as I've been praying for things like that, God does the works in your heart. And after 10 years or 20 years of going every week and spending $5 and buying those Mega Million tickets and going and watching the TV for the numbers to be drawn, take that $5 and, and multiply it times the number of weeks in 20 years, and then add that to 2 or 3% interest, and, wow. Moses is up on the mountain with God. He's up there a while. It's taken a while. The people grow impatient. Come, make us gods that shall go before us. How many of you have ever made the decision to help God out? Right? I have been, we have been praying for a house closer to where my wife and children go to school for years. Laura's a public school teacher in Prattsburg Central School District down uh, in the southern tier of New York. She's taught there for 18 years. I got it right this time. She doesn't look like she's been teaching there 18 years. And we've been living in painted posts, meaning that, that my wife and my four daughters who all go to school, or they're growing up and graduating now, but that have been going to school at Prattsburg have also been making the 40-minute commute both directions each day. And as they grow and get involved in sports and so on, we end up making two or three trips a day to Prattsburg and back to painted Post. And so we have been praying for a house. Praying and praying. We need to do it, but we have a problem. We've been called to the mission field. My wife, she, she earns a good income, but it's that income that supports our family. It allows me to, to serve in the ministry uh, when I was at Boyd's and, and now serving in, in, with the mission until God pr provides through his people support so that she doesn't have to carry that burden. 
So we've been praying for a house and praying for a house and praying for a house. We put our house on the market, thought everything was headed in the right direction. We put all of our stuff into storage, and the sale falls through. The first thing we wanted to do is we wanted to help God out. All right, let's, let's go get a mortgage and get into a house because we've just got to get out of this place. We've got to get into the new place. No, no spiritual peace about that. There were tears shed. There were angry words that were spoken. But last fall, as I was going through my daily read it, you catch up with everyone's uh, favorite dishes and their new pictures and new ideas and how they feel about this or that on Facebook, I, I came across a, a, uh, uh, a post by a lady in Prattsburg, and it said, Bill wants to get rid of this house. He wants 10000 for it. That piqued our interest. And so... Through a course of events, we ended up buying a house, a house that had a brand new roof, half the foundation was brand new, had been totally, pretty much totally gutted, had brand new windows for the entire thing, and we closed on that house for $10,000. We were able to pay cash for it because the sale of our house finally happened. And these things happened, we've been praying for them, but we've been praying for them a long time. And it would have been really easy just to take the easy way out and just to say, okay, God, I, you're obviously not on my time scale. We've got to make something happen here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. Don't you worry about this. And go and take care of it ourselves. Have any, are, are any of you in that boat? Have you been in that boat before? Yeah. Well, that's no different than what's happening here. You know, it's easy to point point fingers at the nation of Israel and say, how dare you create this idol? How dare you blaspheme God in this way? How dare you not be patient? Don't you know God answers prayers? Don't I know? Don't you know? first thing that I see from this passage is that the people did not wait on God. They tried to help God out. They got in front of God. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Aaron, he's in the ministry. He doesn't have stuff to make a, an idol with or a god with or anything like that with. And, and so perhaps I, I'd like to give Aaron the benefit of the doubt. And perhaps he was thinking, you know what? If I make him put some, some skin in the game, as it were, maybe they, they'll change their minds. All right, sometimes uh, those that are in leadership do so by gently prompting the sheep to move forwards, and other times they have to get in front of the sheep and lead them. So giving Aaron the benefit of the doubt, he he said, okay, well, if this is going to happen, I need your gold. And they gave him the gold. I was sharing with a gentleman earlier that my mother is British, and I love British history, and, and, and there's some great programs on YouTube about British archaeology and, and these different things. And, and one of the things that they talk about a lot is the, uh, is the church in England. Of course, a uh, quick a little um, uh, history, of course, uh, the, the, England, was, England, Great Britain, was, was very much Roman Catholic, and then Henry VIII comes along, and, and his wife is not giving him a son, which is his fault, but he doesn't know that. And so he wants to get rid of her. He wants to divorce her. And the Pope says, nope, not going to happen. And so uh, Henry says, okay, well, you're not really the head of this church. I am, so goodbye. And he dissolved all the monasteries. He kicked all the monks out and all the nuns out. And all, he just retook all of this land so he could give it away again. It was a land grab that he ended up selling to raise money. 
But I share this because something that is always very prevalent in, in the, the archaeological digs of these old churches are uh, the people that supported those churches. Why did the church, the Roman Catholic Church, and subsequently the Church of England, have so much money? They had so much money because people wanted the easy, the quick, the, the get-out-of-the-jail-free card, and so they would give wealth to the church. They would try to buy their way into heaven. They would give lands, they would give food, they would give slaves. They, the list goes on and on and on. And the more you gave, the closer to the altar of the church you got buried. And so it's interesting, that's a tool that archaeologists are able to use to define which uh, diseases affected the wealthy people versus the poor people because of where their bodies are found within the walls and the buried, they buried them right under the church, in proximity to the altar. But I share this with you because it's that same mindset. The more you give, the more you get. There are people sitting in pews and in chairs in churches around the world this morning that have that same mindset. I go to church every week because I want to go to heaven. I go to Bible study every Wednesday because I want to hear the latest scoop on everyone and call it a prayer meeting. I'm getting older in my, my old age and, and it, maybe if I give the church even more money for, for this project, then God will look on me favorably. My child is dying. And I go from church to church reaching out and pleading and seeking for the right place to go. Talk to the right person. The first thing we see with the golden calf is, is that people got in front of God. They didn't wait on God. The second thing we see is we see that they get involved with the apostasy. They, they get involved with, with this horrendous act. I love to preach. And I'm, I, I was raised in a Presbyterian church. We went to church every Sunday. And I sung in the choir. I had a little band when I was a teenager. Uh, it, was, it was just, you know, it was the same people. Got to know them. The church, it was great to hear the organ. Where's Paul? It was great to hear the organ this morning. I haven't heard one of those. Uh, we heard one last Sunday, but it had been quite a while because uh, the big churches had these big organs in some places. And we heard one last Sunday. We hear one this Sunday. But I love to go into to different churches and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a relatively new thing for me. Uh, five, six, seven, eight years ago, I, you want me to talk in a Methodist church? Do you not know that I'm a Baptist? That's a golden calf, by the way. But I love to go, and I love to preach, and I love to share, and I love to get the word in to the minds of those that I'm speaking to. And I don't care if it's here or if it's in uh, the, the, the apostate Addison United Methodist Church or it's in a park or it's in Kenya or Togo or India. I, I don't care where it is. I want to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one thing that I am very sensitive to is to make sure that everything I do and say glorifies God. Scriptures tell us that, right? And so I love to preach in an apostate church, but you'll never see me giving a dime in the offering plate in an apostate church. Many years ago now, I made the decision to not support a large not-for-profit in our community that made a big issue of going to workplaces and raising funds that was going to be distributed to not-for-profit organizations in the community, and, and I began the practice of not supporting that organization because I found out that that organization was supporting things that were not glorifying to God. And so therefore, I didn't want to be a part of it. The second thing I see here is that we need to make sure that in addition to not seeking a golden calf, seeking uh, to get in front of God, we are not supporting those who are trying to get in front of God. 
The nation of Israel gave up their gold. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. So the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We can't get in front of God. We can't be complicit in things against God. And we need to speak up for that which we know glorifies God. As I read this passage, I think of David. When David fell into sin, how did the David's fall into sin happen? It happened when he, upon the roof one night, was watching the beautiful lady bathing, and the lust of the flesh overcame him. There was a a distinct beginning of his sin, and that sin became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Aaron had the opportunity here to intervene, to stop the heresy that was being prescribed. He had the opportunity to teach. He had the opportunity to admonish. Aaron could have stood up at this point and said, no, no, we wait. So why didn't he? Why don't we speak up for those things that are happening that don't glorify God? Perhaps it's because you don't want people to think badly of you. Or, I don't want people to think badly of of Jesus Christ, and so therefore I wait for the perfect moment to, to share about the gospel. One of the things that I have admonished other pastors for is at funerals, when they preach people into heaven. I love preaching at funerals in the same way I love preaching everywhere. But there's one thing that I can definitely, absolutely, 100% positively know for certain. And that's that there's only one person that I can know and I do know for certain who is going to heaven that day as I preach at that funeral. And that's the same for each and every one of you. It is my hope that every single person here today is walking and living a life grounded on the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. But I don't know how many here are truly saved. How many here are truly of God, for God, living with God. And I'm preaching in a a church on a Sunday morning that's grounded on the Word of God. The only person here this morning that I know is saved is me. The only person, when you're sitting here nodding your head or, you know, say, amen, or, or those things, you, you don't even know if I'm saved. You can't know that. The only one that knows a man's heart is God and that man. But for those of you that are going, I will be there. Up there, not down, up. <clears throat> Aaron began a journey down a very slippery slope because Aaron didn't want to take the hard stand against what was wrong. Aaron knew what he was doing was wrong, but for whatever reason, he chose to go along with it. Perhaps he was just hoping to buy time until Moses got back. 
if your pastor goes off, or pastors, it's great, you've got several here, go off for an extended retreat, and somebody comes and wants to hold a, a marriage at this church that is not consistent with the Word of God, are you going to put a, a stop to it, or are you going to just let it happen and let pastor deal with it when he comes back? Aaron saw it, the image made of gold. He built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go. Get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is a jealous God. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, and let my wrath be burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and then I will make you a great nation. I know people who call themselves Christians that do not base their faith on anything that even slightly resembles Scripture. But they call themselves Christians. I, I know people who worship in different ways, believe different things. And again, I don't know who is saved and unsaved, but I do know what the Word of God says. And, and my one admonition is to share what the Word of God says. Remember that social media that I alluded to earlier? About eight years ago, I got into a little bit of a fight with my aunt. My brother had five siblings. There was uh, my uncle, and then there was uh, four Yes, four sisters. And the eldest sister, my, my Aunt Pat, brilliant woman, um, she went to, uh, she, she got her master's degree and so on and so forth. Then she went back to seminary. Anyway, long story short, she became a Presbyterian minister. Which really didn't make any big deal to me until I started really getting into the Word of God and seeing, wait a minute, that's not what God's Word says. So anyway, I, I like to use the social media platform as a, a way to get God's word out there. In fact, there's many times when I don't post things myself, I'll just post scripture. Because then if people say that's awful or they want to get in a fight with it, they're not getting in a fight with me, they're getting in a fight with God's word, right? And, and what better person to have at your back? You know, it's like, hey, you can, you can get all angry and stuff if you want, but God said it and I believe it and, you know... And so I would preach things from God's Word, and I shared a passage from Romans regarding sexuality and abomination and all of the lists of things that Paul gave to the church of the letter of Romans, and I posted this on my Facebook page. It wasn't directed at somebody. It wasn't, no one was tagged. There wasn't a picture of, of the person who was, you know, aimed at, right? There was, it was just God's Word, Put right there for, for the world to see. And I got a message from my aunt. Please take this down. What? Reverend Patricia? Why do you want me to take God's word down? Because it's offensive to those that are in my church and they can see your page because I'm friends with you. Please take it down. I didn't. Ultimately, she ended up unfriending me so that her congregants wouldn't be exposed to those horrific passages of Scripture that I was publishing on Facebook. I pray that God had mercy on her. Because you see, 
about a year and a half after that whole conversation, she finally was called home after a year-long battle with cancer. We have a responsibility just as Aaron had a responsibility. We had a responsibility just as Moses had a responsibility to preach the truth. And as I said, our God is a jealous God. He has the power to strike down those he wishes. He has the power to allow those to continue in the way that he wishes. And so to get back to my my original point here, I, I look at these churches, I look at these people that are that are, that are preaching these heresies, and I say, God, get rid of them. They're making life miserable for me. <clears throat> Someone made a comment last week. I mean, we're missionaries. We have a jar on the table. That jar is, is for people. Sometimes people are moved to, to, to give us uh, money toward travel or, or towards the mission. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people give us kind words, and we, we covet the prayers of, of individual people. Somebody came up to me last week and said to me, so are you buying a $54 million jet for your mission? That stung. They were just kind of making mock of the news. And some of you may have read it. Some of you may not have heard of it. There's this televangelist. I've never heard of him in my life, which is okay with me. Uh, But apparently, in order to fulfill his ministry, God has decided God wants him to have a $54 million jet airplane so that he can travel the world and and share the gospel with people on his $54 million airplane. There's several of you here today from IGM, and let me tell you what, we got plenty to do with $54 million other than buy an airplane, right? Buy Mike a new headset for one thing. But, God doesn't. And why, God, why does God not just strike these things down? Let's keep going through Scripture here. And the Lord said to Moses, Go! Get down! That was on purpose, by the way, guys. Don't turn me down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way in which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, and then I will make you a great nation. But it doesn't end there. Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, And said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great might and with a mighty hand? Well, why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to to harm them and to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your first fierce wrath. Relent from this harm to your people. The next point It resonates in this passage for Moses because how many of you pray for those who persecute you? How many of you pray for those who cause angst in your life? It's really easy to pray for people who we love and we know. It's really hard to pray for people who hurt the ones that we love. Moses loved God. Moses was in the presence of God. And the people of Israel were hurting God by their behavior. And Moses pleads for their lives. Why does he plead? What does he seek from God? He seeks mercy from God. Because it is through God's mercy that God's character is revealed. It is through God's grace 
that God's character is revealed. So the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. And Moses turned, went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He then took the calf which they had made, burned it with fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. Ouch. Can you imagine? God's not answering your prayer. He's not coming through in the way that you want Him to. So you decide to help Him out. You get some people to go along with you to help Him out. You do your thing the way it should look. The way it should be. Only to find out that God had something so much better in mind. This passage speaks powerfully to me. As we begin this transition into missions... I have to be very cautious of the golden calves that I could potentially create and need to make sure my focus is up. As you are living your life as the church here, at this fellowship, in this body, you too need to look at all of those things which you revere, which you hold up, which you may or potentially may put in the place of God. We need to wait on God. We need to be a people of God's word. Seeking those things that are written and abiding in them. And we need to be leading, not only through our example, but through our words. There's this dear sweet lady who's been a member of the congregation at Boyd's Corners for, well, since I was there, a little bit before I was there. And she is a sweet thing. She is gifted with the, the spiritual gift of hospitality, and she's just one of these people that can talk to anyone and build a relationship with anyone and love on anyone. And, and it's just, just, she's just one of those people. I got to tell you, if she was, she'd be back there and she would know everyone's name and their birthday and their address, and it'd take her five minutes to do it, and she wouldn't know anyone to start with. She's one of those people. But every once in a while, I would have to give her a call, or I would have to have a conversation with her. Because every once in a while, she kind of, she, she does read the scriptures a little bit, she does this, but she gets things a little twisted. A safe one that I can share with you is, you know, that the puppy died and he's gone to heaven now. Maybe, but that's not in Scripture anywhere. We need to be a people who are not only in the Word and of the Word, not only being with God and not in front of God, but we need a people who are sharing that which is true and right and correcting that which is wrong. 
It's really easy to hear somebody say something and just pretend you didn't hear it and, oh, I don't even want to go there today. But we are to do that very thing. If Aaron had done that very thing, then the mess wouldn't have happened. I, I abhor you, I, I, I encourage you to be a people that is correcting, that is teaching, that is leading. That's one of the exciting things that I get to do in this new role with IGM. IGM is, God is doing an incredible work around the world. And it's, it's an incredible blessing to be able to go overseas and to see God's servants preaching and teaching and, and doing the work of the ministry. And you know, that $54 million jet, I don't need the jet. I would love to have the money because there are so many problems that I could fix if I had $54 million in my pocket when I go overseas. No, it's not mine. I think I heard that this morning in Sunday school. It's God's. We go and we, we see these beautiful orphans, these beautiful children. It was heart-wrenching. When I was in Kenya, these, this grandmother showed up at the, 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 the orphanage, Haruma Children's Home, and, and she had these three beautiful children with her. The dad was dead. The, the mother had left. The grandmother was left with these children to feed, to clothe, and to house, and, and she didn't have the resources to do it. And so they walked many, many miles together to the orphanage so that grandma could try and get these three precious children into that orphanage, only to be rejected because there's not enough room at the orphanage. I wanted to bring every single one of them home. I, I wanted to, to sell everything and give it to them. I wanted. God got a hold of me and said, yes, but what do I want? Has God forgotten these children in Kenya? Has God forgotten his church in Kenya? Does God really want them walking six miles to get their water? Does he really want them to be studying from the four pages of the New Testament that they were able to pick up out of the garbage and that's the only scriptures they have? I don't know what God wants for them, but I know that God loves them in the same way that he loves each and every one of you. and He loves me. And so it's not about what I want, but it's what, about what God wants. Aaron forgot that. The people of Israel forgot that. And so the final imagery that we're left with is the gold is ground up. That idol that they had made, it is cast into the water, and then Moses makes each and every one of them drink of it. That which they had made to replace God, that which they had made to put in place of God, that which they had made to put in front of God, that which they had made to worship as a God, was now being put through their systems to become one of the most unclean and defiled things. Because what goes in must come out. And the God they had created was that which they left behind after consuming the gold. There are so many lessons from this passage. There are so many convictions that I take from this word that God has given us. But I want, I want to leave you with one simple thought. Have you created a golden calf? Are you worshiping a golden calf? And how are you going to repent of that golden calf? God is a loving God. 
the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary was for the sins of man. And unfortunately, we still struggle with the flesh. But we are given the opportunity to repent, to turn from that which does not glorify God, to turn from that which separates us from God, to turn from that which gets in the place of God. And may God be the one that is glorified when we take those steps of faith and obedience as we see in his word. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today. And thank you so much for this privilege to be able to preach from your word and to be able to not only teach others, but to also be convicted of my own shortcomings. God, you loved each and every one of us so much that you did send your only begotten son There is no other that could have done the work that Jesus Christ did because there is no other man who was a perfect sacrifice. There is no other man that could complete the sacrifice needed for the sins of man. And so you sent your son. Lord, this morning I hold up those golden calves which I have built and worshipped. I turn from them and I beg that those that are sitting here today are so moved as well. We are gathered here but for one purpose and that is to worship you, praise you, and to glorify you. And Lord, may we have done that this morning through our song, our worship, through the teaching and preaching. And may your spirit continue to do a great work as we leave this place today. I bring these things to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.